Lord God, by your grace, you have made us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And by your power, you have made us citizens of this land. Help us today to understand a biblical view of the power of government. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's peace to you, friends. I just want to mention before I start the message that in the pew rack, there are these little pieces of paper which say at the top, Sermon Notes. If you want to take some additional notes, I know there's not a lot of room in the bulletin that you have. If you want to jot a few notes down, feel free to use that if you wish. We are continuing in our study of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and today brings us to chapter 13 as we're getting close to the end of the book. Chapter 13 is a chapter in which St. Paul writes about a very interesting and relevant topic, that is the power of government. And so it's important for us to delve into this this morning. We understand, of course, that when St. Paul was writing his letter, He lived in the Roman Empire of the first century. And the type of government under which he was subjected was that of the rule of the emperor, who himself was the supreme ruler at the time. And in Paul's day, the emperor was Nero. From your studies of classical history, you may recall that Nero was not particularly friendly to the Christians in Rome. Here in the United States, of course, we are more familiar with a democratic form of government, including the three major branches of our government, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And constitutionally, there are checks and balances put in place to assure that government is carried out in proper fashion. But we recognize that around the world, Christians live under various forms of government. Not all of them are democratic. So today we're really not asking the question, what is the best form of government? That's for another debate. Today we're really asking the question, what is a biblical understanding of how we are to view government? a biblical understanding of how we are to view government, particularly as Christians. What about the power of government? This is what St. Paul's writing about in chapter 13, and the very first point that he makes in the opening verse is this, that the power of government comes from God. The power of government comes from God. This is the way he says it in verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. All right, let's pause there for just a second as we're going to go step by step through these verses in chapter 13. Paul is not saying that God gives a specific form of government. Those will vary. Rather, he's saying that God gives the authority to govern for the sake of good order in society. God gives governing rulers the authority to do so 
for the sake of good order in society. Now, as Christians, of course, we ask the question, well, what is the role of God's law when it comes to society? Is there a role? Well, the good doctor, Martin Luther, helps us out in this discussion. He wrote quite a bit about the use of law, God's law. And he talked about the fact that there are really three different uses of God's law. And up on the screen, you see them enumerated here. The first of all, the first use of the law is the civil or societal use of the law. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment because that's the one that relates to our text. The second is the theological use of the law, and the third is the ethical use. Let's, let's talk about number two and three first because we're more familiar with those in our church circles. Luther made the point that the theological use of the law is when we look at God's commandments in the Scripture and we measure our life against those commandments. And God's commandments serve like a mirror to show us our sins. They convict us of our wrongdoing. That's supposed to do that so that we would acknowledge our need for a Savior and be drawn then to the gospel message, to the cross of Jesus, where we learn about how our sin was paid for by him, that we can know we are forgiven and have eternal life. But the theological use of the law is specifically spiritual-oriented to convict our hearts. From there, then, it leads to the third use of the law for Christians specifically. And that is that as believers in Jesus who know that we've been forgiven by God of our sins, we now go back to the law of God and we use this as a guide on how to live. We conduct ourselves, we establish our ethical system based on the guide that we have in the scriptures. And we respond out of thanksgiving to God for his love for us. That's what motivates us then to want to do the right thing. But now let's go back to that first use of the law because that pertains to the topic of the power of government. The first use of the law is the use of God's law in society. And it acts like a curb. You know, when you're driving down the road and there's a curb on the side of the road, the purpose of the curb is to keep your vehicle on the roadway. If you stray too far to one side or the other, it's meant to keep you on the road. It curbs that sudden uh, breaking over onto the sidewalk. Likewise, the law of God's use in society is as a curb. That is, the law of God is to curb the coarse outbreak of sin in society as a whole. And that's important, isn't it? Because we know that the nature of mankind's heart is not good. People, in their heart of hearts, do the wrong thing. It gets played out in various dramatic ways, and we're seeing that now down in the southeast part of our country, aren't we? As people, some people, choose to practice looting the businesses that have been flooded by Hurricane Harvey. Or other unscrupulous uh, contractors come around promising to do the work of repairing people's homes, taking their money, and never fulfilling their responsibilities. Yes. Sin has a way of breaking out in society, and the first use of God's law is as a curb, to curb the outbreak of sin around us. So in Romans chapter 13 now, Paul continues by writing about this 
civil or societal use of God's law. Listen to what he says, verses 2 through 5. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. All right, let's unpack this section a little bit at a time. Paul is saying that God gives governing authorities the power to uphold and enforce the law. He's given governing authorities that responsibility and that authority to uphold and enforce the law. You see, our God is a God of order and of peace. And he desires that good order be maintained in the world, in society as a whole. So St. Paul says, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Friends, we need to truly appreciate those who faithfully and courageously and honorably make it their life's mission to protect and serve their communities. They deserve our respect, and we are to obey the laws. St. Paul continues, Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. We need to understand that ultimately, the one in authority is God's servant. He's there to serve God by serving the people, and he is to act responsibly for the good of society, for the good of the citizens. Now, Paul goes goes on to say, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. We need to acknowledge that there are consequences for wrong behavior. Over the years in my ministry, I have visited any number of inmates in various levels of incarceration from local jails to federal prison. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ and help the person understand that in their standing before God, they are forgiven of their wrongs. And it's a wonderful ministry opportunity. But saying that does not take away the consequences of a person's behavior. They still have to experience those consequences. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, he's God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment 
on the wrongdoer. We need to take that seriously. By the way, this passage from Romans 13 is also the basis for serving in the military for a just cause. That there is great honor indeed of serving your nation for the cause of justice on a global scale. There is every reason to honor those who take up military service. Paul goes on to say, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. In other words, friends, we should do the right thing, not just because of the threat of punishment, but because the God-given conscience that we have within us tells us what is right and wrong. And we ought to do the right thing under God as a way of honoring Him. But now all this does bring up another challenging question. What about when government acts contrary to God's law? Then what? Certainly we need to acknowledge that as citizens of the land, we have the right and power to exercise the vote. And if there are changes that need to be made in government, we need to make them by our voting. Christians should be the first ones in line at the polls, voting for what is best in society. But what if government passes laws and seeks to enforce laws that are in direct opposition to God's laws found in Scripture? Then what do we do? Then we follow the principle that is brought out in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, which says, we must obey God rather than men. When it's a matter of following God's will or something else, we must obey God rather than men. Now, that may very well mean that we need to be willing to accept those consequences that might come for such an action, but if it is based on what is biblical, we need to be ready to do that. But all the more reason, friends, why we Christians need to not only get out and vote, but make our voice heard out in the public square. Society as a whole needs the influence of godly wisdom from your mouth and mine. If there's just one voice out there calling for the way society should be run, that's not enough. It needs your voice and mine as well. But nevertheless, having said all that, Paul does make it clear that the governing authorities are servants of God and therefore are to be viewed as such. He now goes on to talk about another power of government. Maybe not one of our favorites, but he does talk about it taxation. Here's what he says in verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Now this may not be the most pleasant topic to talk about, but it is biblical, so let's discuss it. While none of us wants to be overtaxed or unfairly taxed, Let's recognize, friends, that we all play a role in maintaining good order in our society. And that takes revenue. 
Revenue to support those who have the responsibility to assure good order in society. Even Jesus had something to say about paying taxes. He was asked by the religious leaders of his time this question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And how did Jesus respond? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. St. Paul continues in verse 7, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. I want to focus on those last two concepts of respect and honor. You know, one thing that is sadly neglected in our society today is respect for authority. We see so many examples of that. Now, granted, some people in positions of authority have not acted very responsibly. And they haven't acted very respectably. And it makes it difficult for people to honor those who act in such fashion. But you know, it has almost become commonplace to disrespect and malign people in positions of authority just because they're in those positions. And that's not right. We need to learn to respect those who are in positions of authority. Paul goes on and mentions honor. And honor, that begins in the home. In the home goes all the way back to the fourth commandment. The very first of the commandments that deal with how we treat each other as human beings. The first relationship we come into when we enter this world is with our parents. And the fourth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. Parents, we need to teach our children what it means to honor and respect authority. It means, first of all, you need to expect your children to honor and respect you. That means being intentional about that. It means not tolerating dishonor. When we tolerate dishonor with our children, we set them up for failure in the future. We need to understand that uh, what you're doing as parents is you are putting in place the building blocks, not only of of a good order in the family, but the building blocks of good order in society by training up your children to honor and respect you and others in authority. Paul concludes then with the last three verses of our text. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding. Accept the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He started that section by saying, let no debt remain outstanding. I think it underscores the important point. 
We are responsible for paying off our debts, for paying what we owe, what we've committed to financially. But he also goes on to say there is one debt that is continuing and that we are to pay every single day. And it's going to continue to be a debt that we pay every day until we leave this earth. And that is the continuing debt to love others. To love others. And we should do that with great joy. But how do we do that? How do we love others as we love ourselves? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Ah, there's the secret. There's the key. We are to love others as Jesus has loved us. And how did Jesus love us? He gave his very life on a cross that we might have our sins forgiven. He demonstrated the most amazing kind of love. That even though he himself was innocent and we were the guilty ones, he let himself be considered the guilty one and took all of our sins on himself and died and was damned for them. And he declares you and me not guilty, forgiven and free. And through faith in him we have eternal life. What amazing love that our Savior has for us. And you see, it's that love of Jesus for us that motivates us then to want to love our neighbor, to love others, to reach out and help them in need. It's Jesus' love for us that also motivates us to want to do the right thing as we live out our lives out in society. It's Jesus' love for us at the cross that motivates us to obey the laws of the land and to be good, upstanding citizens of this nation. It's Jesus' love for us that motivates us to honor and respect not only parents but all in positions of authority. And it's Jesus' love for us that motivates us to seek the good of all people. Friends, we give thanks to God, of course, that by his cross and empty tomb, we are declared to be citizens of heaven. And we look forward to that eternal citizenship that that we've been given. But we also give thanks to God that we are citizens of this world, and more specifically, citizens of this great nation. And as such... We acknowledge that God himself has given authority to those who govern. And so let us honor God by upholding the laws of the land and living honorable and respectable lives, even as we honor those who govern, those who serve, those in the military, those in our government. To God alone be the glory and praise. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.